Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Friday Roundtable Show every Friday at 8.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, which you can watch on the WP Tonic Facebook page live and leave comments. And it's my 300th show! I've made it to 300! Only 700 more to go to 1,000. Well, it's, it's, it, I don't think so. <laughs> so. Did you, in fact, go and, you know, count episodes relative to the other uh, podcasters in the WordPress space who've, who've managed to persist? Um, I don't, I don't actually know what words I can utilize that I've got to 300 shows. It's like, yeah. oh my God, fathers. Um, if I know, are you going to go back and transcribe everything now? <laughs> don't think so um but if i know that i think it's been about three and a half years and those three and a half years have gone quick and um i have to give uh, a shout out i did um to bill my first co-host crazy bill he doesn't mind me calling him crazy actually um (laughs) um, he takes it as a sign of endearment actually i've called him a lot worse and uh um, and uh, um um, I've got to give a shout out to Crazy Bill because he did introduce, well, I don't know. Yeah, I should give him a shout out because um, he introduced me to podcasting. He said, yeah, you'd be good at podcasting. Why don't, why don't we do a show together? And I thought, why not? And that's how I started. But um, I never thought I would get to 300 shows. Um, and I just want to thank the panel, um, um, you know, Sally, uh, John, Morton, Chris came, you know, you've all, you know, been very supportive and come on the show as regularly as you can, and it's much appreciated. And I see you all as friends. Um, And I just want to thank my guests who've come on the show. Um, Some of them have looked very puzzled at the end of the interview. Well, I, I just listened to your uh, interview with Chris Brogan. This, this, uh, he did look puzzled. He looked quite quite interested even at the end but I, yes well, i've had very kind of strange looks in their eyes as we come to the end of the show uh, um but that's only occasionally happened I, I think sometimes the english humor kind of doesn't go down that well but there we go but he seemed to get it didn't he um yes Sammy? yes yes right on to the lesson me yes. on about my 300 show and let's get on with this because the panel looks restless Look restless. So, because it's my 300th show, I thought I'd just choose whatever I thought was really interesting. So, we had a bit of a chat about this last week, but I think it's a big story in a way that covers a lot of themes that we have been discussing over the past few months, really. And it's um, a story that was um, called How One Company Scammed Silicon Valley and How They Got Caught. Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies of Silicon Valley Startup. And it's about Elizabeth Holmes and Firminos. Um, Who wants to start off with that one? 
Hey, well, this is uh, this is really your baby, uh, J- uh, Jonathan. But uh, at some point, I I probably do want to read that book because it is, you know, it, it's it's a fairly astonishing situation. Although, <laughs> kind of thing happens on a smaller scale, you know, in a lot of of arenas that somebody kind of creates a vaporware, uh, maybe you know, with with good intentions, but you sort of get to a point where. <laughs> Uh, you can't admit that you're unable to deliver what you promised. Um, yeah, I would have thrown this to Chris, actually, as a CEO of a company. Um, we all run our own business, but I'll throw it to you, Chris, and then I'm going to throw it to Malton, is when, when, did she, when did she go over that line? You know, let's be practical about this. You know, the investors, they're, you know, they're VCs, they're rich people, they invested in a... Um, the merging of black and white into grey happens a lot with a lot of startups, but um, there there seemed to be a a point in time where she went over that line. Or do you think she's just been fed to the lions because she made a big play? What do you think, Chris? I think uh, it, this actually ties into another article we're going to discuss about ethics and would we do the same thing in person that we would do in the online world? That's one of the tests. But there's this concept of minimum viable product, the MVP. There's something that startups and entrepreneurs use all the time called a false door test where you put it up. You can even take money or take interest list to make sure there's demand, which is good to do so nobody wastes their time. And, you know, if you're not end up not building it and you don't hit your success metrics, you refund and move on. Or that, that, that's you, how Kickstarter is supposed to work. Yeah. <laughs> and my backpack is still eight years outside. <laughs> there's another concept like on top of the MVP called the MVBP, which is the minimum viable business product. This is like a more of a real functioning V1 out in the marketplace. So I think it brings up interesting ethical issues of staging a, you know, laboratory that looks like it's functioning, but it's not really. It's kind of like a sales page for a new product that lists out all the features. Um, But I think online marketers and digital product creators, uh, they tend to be honest about it. Like, this is what it's going to be. This is my target release date here's an early adopter discount or join the interest list. I think the line was crossed when um, you're, you're taking an MVP and presenting it as an MVBP, a, a minimum viable business product. When it's not, it's still like you're still on the false door test, but you're now you're out live in the marketplace. Um, so that's, that's where the kind of the line is. Yeah, Morton, do you think, it just, she started the company when she was 19. She had no experience of running a business at all. And then she got through connections through Stanford and other connections. She got invested, got her seed money, and then some real big names ended up on her board and it seemed to go on. And do you think it just got to big for her and she just went on and on with it. (laughs) I don't feel like I have enough information about this particular case to be able to say anything uh, meaningful about it. But I think if you look at it from a 
yeah. stepping back a bit and looking at a general tendency in the tech community, there's part of the story that's always bothered me, and that has been the um, vilification of a single person. Yeah. Because everyone is like, this, this one human being, this woman who, you know, came from nothing, Stewart, very anyone? young, uh, has somehow become this uh, lightning rod for this entire conversation. And I'm like, she's not the only person in the company. Yeah. There's an entire company. Here. She I'm could like, not have pulled it off without people who were, yeah. who, were and, in, who were in on it. Yes. There are a lot of there are a lot of people who made a lot of bad decisions over a long period of time for this to happen. Now, uh, as for how this type of situation comes about, I think the Kickstarter reference is a good one because um, I don't know if I'm sure you've all invested in some Kickstarter thing at some point, right? And whether or not you actually get the thing often depends on what you're putting money into. So I, I remember there was a couple of years ago, there was someone who had a, Kickstarter product, which was like a flying disc that, that could um, fly next to you and film you as you were uh, doing social media. And you look at it and you're like, this is never going to be a real product. There was someone who made a ring that you could, that was like an unlocking ring that you could do something with to like control the TV or it was something really weird. And it's one of those things where you look at it and you go, I understand the idea. I see how this theoretically could be a thing, but there is no way in hell you're actually going to be able to do this. And I remember when, uh, what is this called? Theranos? Theranos. Yeah, when they first came out, I was like, there is no way, unless you've come across some sort of revolutionary new technology that somehow everyone in the entire industry has missed until this point. There is just no way this is actually possible, what you're promising here. So for reference, for anyone not familiar with the story, I believe it's something like, taking a single drop of blood and then diagnosing a huge amount of different information from it very cheaply. Um, because blood testing is colossally complex. You've all t- taken blood and they like pour half of your body out into bottles and then they lose half of them and they have to have like this much to find out something. And, and Theranos came and said, we can poke your finger and find out all this information and it'll cost like under a hundred dollars. Nanotechnology. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, the thing is, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, this is probably going to be a real thing. In fact, it'll probably be even more than that. You can just scan your hands and then, or take a picture of your face and then you'll get all this information. So it's not that the technology is not possible. I think it's simply not possible right now. And there were too many promises made too, too fast. Like at, there are many points during the story where I'm sure people could have said, actually, it's going to cost 10 times more or it's not possible or, you know, we, could, we have to do this differently or we have to scale back. But then the train was already running too fast. There was too much attention around it, too many investors. And then a lot of people that kept probably going, no, no, we can totally do it. We can like, fudge it until it works and da, 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 and then it all fell apart. So yeah. I, I, I have a problem with the vilification of a yeah. single person here. Yeah. Um, I think this is a good illustration of how a lot of these things take place. It's just that normally they don't get this kind of attention. And it is kind of surprising that this particular story is getting so much attention considering there are tons of these examples out there. I mean, there are lots of other companies that are doing the exact same thing. The main differentiator here is that it's a young woman, yeah. blonde, attractive looking who came out of nothing and did this. So I think that's a big part of it. 
I mean, it does remind me of the situation with Martha Stewart because, you know, it's hardly as though she was the only person who ever engaged in insider trading, but, you know, she went to jail when a lot of other people didn't. I was saying to John yesterday, I think the other crucial area is that there was a level of incompetence that was breathtaking. What, what I mean is when she got the contract, I think, to actually um, in Arizona, and I think it was one other area where with her partner, I forgot the um, drug company, drug um, retailer, not retailer. CVS. Yeah. Um, is they they could have they could have done the tests and used traditional um, technology. They would have lost a load of money doing it. They would have bled all their money. Um, but they couldn't even do the traditional testing that, that well. <laughs> they, kind of, they kind of messed up on that. And that's, you know, they started sending false positives and people started, and of course, the the, um, the established players in the industry were gunning for her. You know, I think when, when she started, when she pushed back on the initial reporting, she said a lot of this comes from PR companies from established players and i'm sure there was some element of truth to that but i think it was the breathtaking incompetence of a lot of this what do you reckon john yeah i it's just one of those things where i think there's a lot of vc money chasing after uh ideas and you know they're sold on the dream and it's they're not really inspecting the reality close and i think that's a case of what happened here yeah uh, all right, I think I can tell by the body language of the panel. I'm going to go on to the other story. But I no one wants it, to get sued. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. I don't. I think these. I think most of the players connected to this story got bigger things to think about than. Um, so on to another story. Um, for small business WordPress developer, code of honor. From our uh, friends on WPShout.com. I've plugged their stuff enough, but they write some good stuff. And um, it's another very large article written um, about the ethics of being a web developer and using WordPress. Do you want to start this off, Sally? Sure. It's, uh, you know, it, it is a, a hefty uh, a hefty piece, but it, it does walk through a lot of things that uh, that come up because, you know, you encounter the, the clients. I've encountered a number of clients who've, who've been burned by uh, some previous developer. And then, you know, they might be sort of, you know, hostile or suspicious or um, wanting you to do a lot of work before they pay you because they had this this past experience, um, and uh, so uh, you know that's one of the the issues to uh, uh, to talk about. Uh, and uh, then you know the fact that there are people out there who uh, represent themselves as being able to do more than they can or, or who, you know, may just really not understand the limits of, of, uh, of their expertise. And, you know, I don't think that um, WordPress implementers, you know, set out to uh, ruin the SEO of the client's site because, you know, they forget to uh, set up 301 redirects or, or, or whatever. They just don't know. Uh, and the client doesn't know enough to evaluate. Uh, so I think this is a good idea um, to kind of go through this and say, 
okay, you know, what can we do? And um, uh, uh, so it, it says, all right, well, here's, here's our, uh, our honor code. And, and they have a very, uh, 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 you know, the, the actual list, if you, uh, if you open it up, is, is pretty simple. It's, you know, you've got a one-page document of saying, you know, here are my principles. You know, the purpose of my work is to accomplish my client's real-world goals. I will hold myself accountable for the knowledge and skills necessary to do my work well. I will never use my client's lack of knowledge against their best interests. Those all seem like things most people could get behind. Um, and so, you know, even if you don't uh, have the the, uh, the time or the desire to read the whole article, I would go and read the, the actual, uh, you know, uh, honor code uh, document. Um, and uh, so... Uh, that's uh, uh, that's what I'm going to say there. And, and yeah, I see. Um, I see where you're coming from, Sally. I thought it was an interesting piece. Um, I did read the comments, um, and I agree with a comment that came from Jason Witts, um, who's um, I checked him over as an experienced developer, and I got to agree that I agreed with a lot of what Jason um, had to say. But I also agree. I, I've seen it on both. I've hired developers. I have. I, I have developers that I'm that I have on retainers that work for me, and also I've been a a, a developer myself. Um, um, I don't know any developer that hasn't taken a job a job on and they've wondered, um, I don't totally know how to do this, but I have the confidence that I can take this project on. And uh, Well, yes, I, there, there's the, uh, I know, don't know how to do it, but I'm, you know, given the other things I've that got I've friends, done, I can master that specific thing or, whoa, that's totally out of my league. I, I think most of us can tell if, if we're honest with ourselves. But the, the point in the comment about, you know, the people who want you to build them Amazon.com for $500 yeah, there has to be some education around the, the realities of of, uh, of of what it costs to uh, to build things. Uh, I also agree with um, other comments is that um, it's also the responsibility of WordPress in general because as a part of its growth trap strategy, it has um, put out this... Um, storyline that uh, web development is really cheap easy wordpress is really easy plugins are really easy you can get this site up and um, it's really easy it's really cheap um, now you've got these fully hosted solution like wix and uh, other ones that are also trying to plug that storyline where um, the truth is a little bit different. What do you reckon, Moulton? Yes. <laughs> For what you just said. Like it's, so, okay, let's split this into two pieces. Number one, that comment is correct in as much as um, the clients have unrealistic expectations. And yes, that is because we as an industry have taught our clients that what we do has no value. We have spent the past 20 years telling people they can do web design themselves. 
and that it doesn't cost anything. And we sell products specifically to teach people how to do it. And we make like clicky, WYSIWYG things. There, there's a huge company that's advertising on American and Canadian TV right now saying, need a professional website? Why not do it yourself? That is the actual tagline they sell, right? So our industry has cannibalized itself and destroyed its own value by telling people that they don't need professional help to do this in the same way that the dentist industry has been selling DIY dentist kits and like self x-ray equipment and all that stuff for decades, right? And I, I didn't know about the x-ray equipment. Oh, I, exactly. I, 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 I was like, no other industry does this because it's the dumbest thing ever to do, right? So yes, that is a huge problem. But blaming the client doesn't solve anything. It's not the client's fault. It's actually our industry's fault that we've done this to ourselves. So we need to fix that. Now, the other part of this, the, um, the uh, what does it call this? It's like um, develop a code of conduct. So this falls into the uh, current trend of making codes of conduct, codes of ethics, codes of everything else to go into the web industry. Something that is highly required of our industry because we currently don't have anything. Um, this is, again, another list of virtues that people should follow to perform good acts in the society. And a list of virtues only goes as far as it's enforceable. So without any kind of enforcement mechanism, internally in the WordPress community and in the web industry, these lists, for all their prettiness, are worthless because they then become a matter of whether or not, not only whether or not someone says they believe in these virtues, but whether or not that person then is willingly holding themselves to those virtues at all times, which does not work. Um, this is why other industries actually have oversight boards. They have requirements. They have all these things. And we're moving towards a point in the web industry, in the digital industry, um, where a lot of people are starting to talk about whether or not we actually need accredited work so that you need to prove your ability to do things before you can call yourself a web designer or developer. The, the public very, relations industry has been discussing this for decades and, yeah. and decades because it's the, it's the same situation. Anyone yeah, can and, hang out a shingle. And, and it's very difficult because um, unlike a structural engineer or a dentist or a lawyer or a doctor or anything else where you can show immediate consequences of bad acts by um, a provider, in the digital industry, the consequences of a bad action may not show themselves until two or five or 10 years later. And by that time, it may have scaled up to the point where it's uncontrollable. See Facebook and all this other stuff, right? I mean, when we came up with this idea of putting ads on websites, it wasn't because we were like, let's control how people behave and skew elections, right? It was, let's see if I can write some crap on the internet and make money from it. And then because of a bunch of bad decisions that were made over time, which each individual decision weren't really problematic, but combined in the chain, they become a big problem. That's how we ended up where we are today. And that's because a lot of the people who work in this industry, myself included, are not professionally trained in this industry. We don't have you know, the, the massive amount of background information necessary to make ethical choices, to do things correctly. There is no requirement to follow up on anything. There's no oversight board you can complain to. Like if you have a website built, the SEO for that website is terrible and you somehow discover this. What do you do? Right? The best thing you can do is go to the client, another provider and say, hey, you did a terrible job. And then they'll be like, well, right? And then you can go to someone else and then they'll do a half-assed job at it. But you not only do you not have any recourse, but you have no way as a client of knowing whether or not what you were provided is actually good or not, right? If your teeth fall out or break, 
you know your dentist fucked up. If someone's something's wrong with your so website, you try and get something done about it, though. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm I'm in the middle of some crap like that, and I can see it. But at the same time, if it gets bad enough, you can actually go after them. If your website isn't performing the way it's supposed to because of incompetence at the provider, there is no way for you to even know that's happening, right? I see, As a client, I see, I see where you're coming coming from, but I you try and get a, a second opinion from another dentist. Oh, I have. It, well, like, done- I, I'm giving you that example because it's a concrete example of something that's happening to someone I know very well right now. So uh, what I'm saying can is, I, can I give you because, a bit of because I- it actually, like if you take it far enough, if you can actually prove ba- bad conduct on behalf of someone, there is recourse. You can actually complain up to a board that then will go in and invest- investigate. <clears throat> you know? But the, thing, the reason I'm bringing up the dentist thing is because if a dentist makes a mistake, you can tell that that mistake happened and you can actually say, hey, here's a problem. And then you can go to someone else and say, hey, here's a problem. Can I, can I slightly... You the website, you just can't because you don't know if there's a problem there. Can I slightly interrupt? Well, sometimes you, you do know there's a problem, but you still, you know, yeah. at best you can probably take somebody no, to the don't. So, uh, and, and no, you know, they'll just, never show up and, and you're screwed. Yeah, can I slightly interrupt here because um, I've got past experience here. As a child, I went to a dentist and he gave me three fillings and removed two of my teeth, Morton. And he did that treatment. He bodged the treatment and he didn't have to do the treatment. Yep. And it was only, I only found out about seven years later. Mm-hmm. And when he ended up in the local regional press being sued or a criminal investigation was done on his business practices but I, I i researched and i sued him as well in a in the uk with a group of other people and we successfully were successful in that mm-hmm. but his bad practices have been known in that industry in that profession for a number of years and they chose to do nothing yeah, sure. And, and we're happens. talking about children here. Yeah, but we're not talking about adults. No, no. The difference here is there is an actual system. And you can complain as much as you want about the system and say it's not working and everything, but at least there's a system. At least that industry has said, okay, there's a line. When people cross that line, there should be ramifications. And they shouldn't just be bad press. They should actually be ramifications like loss of license, inability to continue to practice, that kind of thing. Our industry has very specifically chosen to not draw a line anywhere, to say it's up to each individual practitioner to do whatever the hell they want and decide for themselves whether or not they should do something. Now, I'm not saying that I have a grand solution to this. I'm saying this conversation that has just started is really important. But it's very crucial that when we have these conversations, we realize simply adopting a code of ethics or something like that is actually not enough. You have to walk the walk. Not only do you have to walk the walk, but you have to impose on everyone you work with to also follow these same principles. You have to help other people adopt the principles. You have to hold other people accountable for those principles. You have to explain them to your client and make sure they understand it so they can ask for the same principles the next time they encounter someone. It is a large job that goes beyond pasting something up on a wall and saying this is it. Yeah. Oh, I, I see where you're coming. Um, John, um, one thing that's occurred to me, you know, in California, Nevada, something different to the UK, it's almost like every industry from construction to 
um, owning a nail saloon and um, you have to be licensed by the state. He wondered why, um, and it, they make money from it. So they're induced to make more and more trade services that you have to get a state license. You wondered why California hasn't done that when it comes to web development or design that you have to get. Oh, a, someone just needs to suggest it to them, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> what do you reckon, John? Yeah, no, that's a great idea. And I, I think some sort of, you know, uh, you know, certification, competency test, something that you can point to and say uh, that would be good. But I, th you know, and like you said, I was focusing on the same comment that you were uh, looking at in here. This, this article is great. These comments are great. There's a lot of like things to unpack here. Um, the thing of it is, is that clients, like most clients that buy websites as, you know, the one person Jason Witt said in here, uh, they're not really looking at, you know, certifications. Uh, the people who sell it, you know, the people who are reading this article that know what WP Shout even is yeah. are the people that are going to, you know, follow these rules. But there are tons of like freelancers. There's tons of smaller agencies that believe that web development is you know buying a theme off a theme forest and just using that and that's the thing that we struggle with when prospects come and say you know well i talked to like this guy and his price is x and your price is you know three or four x you know why is that and you go and look at their work and it's entirely all the stuff that they they do is uh, you know, one-off theme forest themes that haven't been updated in three years. I mean, that's the kind of ground that people are, are building on. But the way that clients usually pick somebody is either they get a direct referral, they Google uh, for web development, and they just pick whoever's the cheapest. Or, you know, they pick somebody that's specialized in some cases. But And that's at the small business level. When you get more up into the enterprise level, then they're a little bit more picky about who they choose. But a lot of it comes down to price. And this, uh, Yeah, as, having, yeah. having just inherited um, two websites from people who paid fairly, you know, that somebody paid an agency a fairly substantial amount of money to build, uh, and seeing that, you know, it, it's not quite the pick a theme for us theme, but it's absolutely, I, I mean, I got brought in um, to talk about something that it was such a fiasco. They'd hired this really fancy ass marketing agency to, to do their new uh, website and the development site, all right, was at a URL bestinlatvia.com. Um, so, you know, you hire this pricey agency that charges you as, as if the pricey people at the agency were doing the work and they outsource it to, mm -hmm. you know, somebody who has no idea of the broader context or, or anything that's involved and they build it and they charge a bunch of money and they, in this case, it was months overdue. Um, and, uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, unfortunately, it, it happens with the, uh, you know, with the higher end stuff as, as well as the lower end stuff. And, and you can't simply say, oh, you're going to uh, you're going to get what you pay for. And why is that, you think? Uh, yes. And I probably does come back to, well, there there isn't 
you know, there there isn't necessarily any oversight, but people are looking at, oh, well, it's going to, you know, we're going to make a lot more money if, if we have some poor schlub in, in Latvia uh, build this. I'm not going to um, comment on that little bit. There are uh, I'm sure there are highly... There are great in developers in Latvia. There are great developers very, everywhere. Very, very good. But, but if they're really good, they're going to charge more than these people want to pay to the folks they outsource to. The worst developer I ever worked with, subcontracted with, was an American, a very, very expensive company. They produced awful, awful code. And I actually went in and deleted an entire project on their server specifically to stop them from working with a client because they were doing such appalling work. Well, well, um, I just want to throw this to Chris. Chris, um, obviously, you know, if you're a dentist and you're treating children, if you're building a bridge and it and it falls down, if you're building a nuclear power station and it's got all crack in you, substandard steel in the construction of it, these have major consequences. But on the other hand, when a business hires a building contractor or any... Uh, uh, um, um, to have new flooring, um, always the cheapest price. They might be const- everybody wants good value, but they're in business and shouldn't they have the reality of having to do their diligence, you know, as an adult, as somebody running a business? What about that side? They should, but it's an immature industry. So there is no medical malpractice. There is no insurance you can take out to make sure that you're covered in case it goes south. So that's that's really what it boils down to. It's an immature industry. And I just wanted to share the main problems that this code of ethics addressed, which is going dark, poor communication, disappearing freelancer agency that's either disappears during the project or right after it's done, you can no longer reach them. The SEO is ruined, bad hosting, poor choices of plugins and themes and whatever tech. And uh, the, the company doing the work had no idea or wasn't aware, didn't invest the time to figure out the business case of what this website is solving for. In all of that, there is a huge opportunity for um, agencies and freelancers to position themselves against all that. And to be upfront, there's a concept in marketing. If you're creating an FAQ page or creating a bunch of FAQ videos on YouTube, which can be very powerful for marketing, selling, and getting leads, that you create the 10 most common questions and answers that people ask, but you also create the 10 most common questions they should be asking. So part of this article talked about small business clients are very vulnerable so if you lead in the front with the 10 questions they should be asking, but they're not, and you address those up, the, up front about what they can expect in terms of communication before, during, and after the project, what your plan is to protect their SEO, that your, your uh, requirement for a hosting that you're only willing to work on to keep their best interests in mind, and same goes for the plugins and tools and the stack that you're going to use. And then um, saying, refusing to do the work unless you understand the business case. That's what it's all about. And I mean, that's how you can position yourself against, you know, this, this more, this chaos that's happening in the lower end of the industry. And that's, that's where the opportunity is. And I think there also is an opportunity for 
there's this new thing, and it's not really new, but it's kind of bubbling up these days. Uh, one term is results-based marketing, where you know this marketing is going to create this type of result. It's kind of like direct response marketing. So why why doesn't some agency or freelancer out there, you know, will be willing to work? Uh, not get paid unless you know the website does what the business needs it to do, or at least have a small amount of money, but then get paid on results on the back end. To, to well, put some I, I think that, I, I'm going to interrupt you. Here. You know, yeah. almost more than the Morton, I normally agree, but I I really disagree with that statement, Chris. You know, yeah. you do work for free, Chris. Um. Yeah, I have a free plugin that puts some skin in the game. We spend a lot of money on it. We invest in it. We allow our clients to get results and revenue coming in before asking them to spend money with us. So I do, in a sense, that's a freemium model for software. But it's a risky, I know. The the client or the agency is going to be like, I'm not going to be responsible for what the client do you, does. Do you, do you expect free work when you go to a car mechanic to have your car repaired? Well, that's obvious. I mean, in the sense that there is a mechanism for, uh, you know, rebuttal. If there, you can, you know, go to the Better Business Bureau or whatever, if you got shoddy work and your brake line, you hit the brakes and they don't work and you run into the car in front of you, you could file a police report. And there's a, there's a system there. Right. I think, I mean, it is very tricky to, to do something the way Chris says. And I think it tends to work best in environments where first your client really knows how they're going to measure the success of, of the project. They already have an idea of, you know, what it's costing them to have a crappy website or, or you know, what they, what they could be uh, earning if they have a, have a good one and, and, and where that is. And, you know, th- those are the situations in which you can use the kind of value-based pricing. So, you know, <clears throat> you are saying you know, maybe there is a kind of modest base amount, but that, you know, what you, the, the real payoff for them. I'm sorry to interrupt, Sally, but I want to get on to the next story, but I'll just, I'm, I'm going to be terrible. I'm sorry, Chris. I'm just wondering, where's these people that don't, that's prepared to do me work for nothing? I, I haven't found <laughs> Well, I don't, I just want to add, I don't think it really is existing really, in this industry. Um, I, just to give a short example, it's similar to a website. It's a different marketing vehicle, which is Facebook advertising. I've been looking for years for someone who's willing to do Facebook ad work um, on a percentage of results. I'll, pay, I'll put the budget up there, mm-hmm. but no money until their, their, their payment is direct proportion to the results. And I can't find that person. To me, it seems like, and I have That's an offer that shit job. That's why. Who <laughs> well, would ever I, agree to that commission-based p- uh, advertising sales? That is like the worst job ever. For an yes. offer that converts organically, though, it's not like. No, I mean, no I can provide metrics. Yeah, yeah no, I, like I understand the value proposition. It's just that it's a yeah. value proposition that's garbage. That's why no one will take that job. <laughs> they won't earn any money. That's the problem. But aren't yes. they supposed well, to be is, good? I mean, yeah. yeah, but the money, the money is tied to your, your product that they have no control over, right? So it's yeah. like you're marketing for someone on the assumption that the product they're actually marketing is going to be as good as they say they are. 
so that their marketing message matches up to the product end, but they have no skin in the game for the actual product nor influence on that product, right? So I think that's why that doesn't work. I'm not criticizing your product. I'm saying like the, 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 what you're describing is a situation I don't think any of the marketing people I know would agree to simply for that reason. Yes, but in, in, in regard to things like building websites, you could imagine uh, a model such as, you know, publishing has used forever, right? That if you, you sell a book to a publisher, you get an advance and your book may or may not ever earn out that advance. But if it does... Uh, then you get you know, royalty. You, right, you, you, you can get uh, royalties. Now, I know that we need to go for our break and, and uh, Jonathan is getting impatient to go on to the next subject. But it, I think it's a topic that could, you know, uh, clearly we could talk about this for a long time and it will probably come up again. Yep, we're going to go for our breaks, folks. We'll be back in a few moments. Give time for Chris to recover. We'll be back in a few moments. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's WP Tonic.com. Just like the podcast. Coming back, Chris is never going to speak to me again. No, he's a big lad. Uh, Rob, he's brighter <laughs> than me. He's got more money than me. And I'm a dozy Englishman. So there we go. But sorry, Chris. I think that was one of your worst ideas, but there we go. Uh, on to the next one. You've got a lot of good Welcome ideas. to the show where we trash yeah. each other's ideas. <laughs> you've got a lot of good ideas, Chris, but oh, you jumped Crit- the shark there, mate. I'm sorry. Critique uh, is good. <laughs> on to the oh, that's why you discuss things with other people is to find yeah. out that what you think is brilliant is really a bad idea. There we go. Uh, I never did that. That's how, how I've ended up. You find that. out if... What you think is a good idea, other people think that it's a bad idea. That doesn't mean it's an actual bad idea. It means that the people you surround yourself with are exactly asked. some of the greatest people in the world. So, so that, so yes, I mean, some, sometimes you have a brilliant idea and everybody thinks it's crazy, and you're right. Uh, but sometimes you have what you think is a brilliant idea, and and uh, you understand once people start raising objections that maybe it was not such a good idea. On to the next story: uh, Microsoft to buy GitHub. Controversy, controversy scheduled for this week. Yeah, say that. I actually kind of thought, what? Microsoft buying GitHub? It was a start off with that one. I mean, I'm gonna just, uh, I'm just gonna throw out a few lines here. Uh, there is a lot of initial reaction, like people saying, "Oh, we're not gonna ever use GitHub again because Microsoft bought it." And I'm like, why do people hate Microsoft? I don't understand because their CEO didn't kill an elephant and they don't like run, uh, you know, bikini ads during the Super Bowl. So I don't understand why people hate that company so much. The only thing I can come up with is maybe it's, you know, the positioned enemy of Apple. They've been around a long time. People should be happy that, that GitHub was acquired by Microsoft because as a VC uh, backed company, now they have found their home. They've had their exit. And now they're going to be around for a long time. Microsoft is not going anywhere. And I feel a hell of a lot more comfortable with GitHub being owned by Microsoft than if it was bought by something like Facebook or Twitter 
or even the WordPress Foundation. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, what might be a reason why people don't like, well, apart from the, there's, there's the fantasy part, which I totally agree with you there, Joe. But as you were saying that, um, actually in Reno, Microsoft's licensing um, department is based in Reno. And all the poor sodding businesses have to deal with Microsoft's licensing. <laughs> 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 I've been sarcastic there, but there is an element of truth to it. What, what, what do you reckon, Chris? Um, I don't have a huge opinion on it. I think there's a lot of different reasons for an acquisition, and it's not completely clear if it's for talent or to crush some, crush some competitor or to get some intellectual property or to do a line extension in business. I really don't know. I'm just kind of hanging back on it and watching it and seeing where it goes. If it does go south in the way that I believe Skype kind of went south or, or just didn't innov- keep innovating in ways it could, um, there's other alternatives out there like Bitbucket. So, you know, every business has a life cycle. Maybe GitHub has reached its peak and it's moving on, or maybe it's going to keep climbing and innovating. We'll see. What, uh, do you want to pass any comment on this, Morton, or are you going to bow out on this particular one? <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is the, uh, I work for LinkedIn Learning, a part of LinkedIn, which is owned by Microsoft Commons. <laughs> so uh, um, what I will say is, when we were acquired by Microsoft, uh, we had, uh, from my perspective, a, a entirely positive experience. Um, and uh, for anyone who follows LinkedIn Learning or lynda.com, you will not see that, like, I think everyone would agree that our, the quality of our product has not gone down by being acquired by Microsoft. Uh, quite the reverse. It's, it's improved because of just access and funding and everything else. Um, a lot of the critique, like, I think, like you asked, why are people worried about it? I think historically, a lot of the developer community just has an anti-Microsoft attitude for a myriad of reasons, many of which are historical reasons that go back 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, whether or not there's any validity to those statements, I can't comment on, but th- there's a historical reason why this is happening. I don't personally agree with these critiques because they are anchored in a long time ago and decisions that were made by different people in a different company under different circumstances than where we are right now. Um, I think uh, the Skype argument specifically is about as relevant as saying that this podcast we're on now is going to be shit because there are other bad podcasts that exist in the world. I mean, it's a completely different oh, situation. It's a completely different product. <laughs> was something that happened at a completely different time. So it's like you're literally making a comparison that doesn't make any sense and then saying everything's going to be doomed because some other product at some other in some other situation didn't work that is not related to this. So, um, you know, I use GitHub. Mm-hmm. I used GitHub before this. I will continue using GitHub afterwards. Uh, GitHub is just a good product. Um, if people want to move off GitHub to something else, by all means do. I mean, I have a GitHub account. I have a GitLab account somewhere. I have a Bitbucket. I used them all. It's just different audiences, different people, different services. Uh, so, you know, it, it you is what it is. I just want to ask you this question. Um, basically, I, I, I see with the purchasing of Linda, the purchasing of LinkedIn, 
um, LinkedIn was about data, about getting data, you know, um, getting access to a certain level of data. Link with Linda and this, it seemed to be around a full way into online education and training, which could be linked some way to LinkedIn and the buying of community and the purchase of this and and Linda also is the purchase of community. What do you reckon about that, Morton? Nothing. You got an email I can't there. say anything about that. Like I don't, I don't make these decisions. No, I just wonder why they're doing it. All right. Zero. Hey, if you're wondering why they're doing it, ask Satya Nadella, who I think already, you know, made a statement that Microsoft is, you know, if not the largest, one of the largest users of yeah. GitHub. Uh, many years ago, I, I met someone at an event who was involved in in Microsoft's interoperability team at, at the time. So, the, and this was, I don't know, 2007, 2008, or so. it was quite a while ago. He's not with Microsoft anymore, but they were already doing quite a bit of, of outreach into open source communities. They had changed. And yeah, those of us who are old enough remember kind of Microsoft as the, as the evil giant, but that was a long time ago. Uh, and, and things have changed. Things changed at GoDaddy in, in terms of the sexism and the, and the work environment. And, uh, you know, I have been impressed with what I've seen of Satya Nadella. And um, I don't think there's going to be a, you know, any kind of a, a catastrophe. The, the funniest comment I've seen so far on the acquisition was the, the cartoon of Clippy saying, it seems you have a merge conflict. Would you like help with that? <laughs> uh, uh, but and then I, someone was like, that's actually a good idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, who knows, right? But uh, I, I am certainly going to continue using GitHub the way I did and unless there is actually a problem that develops. And I, I really don't anticipate that there will be. Well, th think about it this way. You know, stepping away from Microsoft and GitHub specifically, just think about large acquisitions in general. So the large, massive acquisitions of this type are generally done for one of three reasons. Either the, the company that eats the other company wants its technology, right? Either because they want to bake it into their own technology stack or because they want to um, take it away from the audience or because they want to include the audience in some way. That's one version. The second version is they want the manpower. This is when companies die. So like, you know, there are several large design agencies that were extremely influential on the web that have vanished over the past five years. And those have usually been eaten. So like Adobe would buy an entire design agency and then the agency goes away because they're now just Adobe's internal design agency and similar. So they acquire the people and then they kill the product. And then the third one is when they acquire a company because they actually want that company to continue existing. They just want to support that company and you know, make money from it and everything. This type of acquisition that we're seeing here looks like that kind of acquisition. Whereas like, this is a great product. This is a great group of people. This is a great community. That's what we want, right? So the concern, because you, know, you have to think, if you're worried about something being destroyed when a company buys it, you have to think, what was the reason that thing was bought by the company in the first place, right? If the company bought it to destroy it, what is the value of that purchase, right? So in this circumstance, if you look at this through that lens, it's hard to see that this would be a thing where we're like, now that we own it, we're going to destroy it completely, right? So, but again, I can't say anything specific about this particular acquisition. <laughs> I'm just saying, generally speaking, you have to think about the... Um, 
reason for purchase and what the value is for the company that bought it and what their long-term goals are here, right? Skype was a competing product to something that existed. GitHub is a community and a platform that works, that the company works with already. That's great. Thanks for that. Um, I'm going to, before I go on to my next story, I'm going to talk about my sponsor, and that is Kinsta Hosting. Kinsta Hosting, I cannot sing their praises more. They host the WP Tonic website. Actually, they've been really supportive. Um, they've given me leads. Um, they're just, uh, I see them as a, as a kind of semi-business partner in some ways, and hopefully they will continue to sponsor the show. Um, I have the WP Tonic website on this, using their hosting, and I have some client websites, and I encourage all my clients to move to them. Some listen, some don't. Um, uh, but it just, it's just been a joy to have my site with them and they've got all the technology as a developer or a, as a client if you've got a large website and they're small enough to still care but big enough to have all that technology. Go to the WP Tonic website, learn more about Kinsta. I personally cannot highly recommend them any more than that. On to the next story. Face, I'm going to swap it around a little bit. I'm going to go for story five. Is Facebook getting less important? And this was on Yoast. And this came from my friend, John Locke. You want to start off this one, John? Yeah, I mean, like we were talking uh, before we went on air, it, it really feels like Facebook may finally be at the point where it's peaked, kind of, you know, um, that point where Friendster was at at one point in MySpace. Uh, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but um, it, it, with the the recent you know controversies that they've had, uh, you know, having to go to Congress and um, having this latest uh, you know breach where uh, you know private messages were marked public for a couple of days, uh, and you know the reports that the teens are you know, view Facebook is not cool. They're really not on that anymore. They're on platforms like YouTube, which They're seems... On Instagram, which is like Instagram. The teen flight started as soon as their parents began to join Facebook. Right. You know, and you yeah. can't blame them. Yep. So, I mean, it, you know, and uh, there's a lot of other things in it too. I mean, a long time ago, like people were on Facebook because they had like free Facebook pages for their business a long time ago. They started, you know, throttling that back and, and making people pay for their audience. Now it is true that, that Facebook ads and the Facebook pixel, it, it's really good at segmenting audiences and targeting specific, you know, profiles and personas of people and tracking their behavior across sites. But it really feels like as a, you know, a straight up social network that, maybe it's, you know, it, it's peaked and, and maybe it's monthly average users is, is going to start to, you know, either stabilize or start declining. So we'll just have to see because it's been pretty ubiquitous so far. So As well, the interaction of the Facebook pixel and the GDPR is, is right. going to be interesting. Yep. <laughs> yes, it will. <clears throat> I'm just going to comment on it and I'm going to throw it over to Chris. Um, 
I think I think one of I think the thing that's hurting Facebook a little bit is not what is in this article and what you're stating. Mm. Uh, it's also might be cultural because I come from obviously I'm English um, and I have friends in England that have very different political views to me and different views about other subjects like they support the Ron Soccer Club and I, I just can't convert them. Oh, I, keep, I keep trying, but I do Delete immediately. You, say, you know, they support, you know, Arsenal or something, you know, it's just diabolical. But you can't have everything in a friend, can you? Uh, um, but I've noticed, um, so I come from that culture where I like a good argument and I respect somebody who says he's got a different ar- argument um and they just say you're wrong you're right this is the reasons and i like a good discussion right um there's people in reno that blocked me because i challenged them on facebook there's people in reno that no longer they close i was doing business with them and when they found out i had a certain view about something um they never renewed their contract um, I've had a couple of people actually threaten me on Facebook. <laughs> uh, um, um, that kind of climate, yeah. I think, does hurt the thinking. platform because people think, oh, I can't be bothered with this anymore. You know, this is diabolical. Um, and I'm a bit wary now about what I put on in through Facebook. And um, I never, there's only been one, there's, a couple, like I say, a couple of people made kind of threatening statements. I've blocked them. You've got to be really bad for me to... There's, I have people that I think are absolute nuts and I still don't block them because uh, um, I think they've got the right to, for their own views, you know. Um, I think that's what's poisoning it a little bit. What do you reckon, Chris? If I put my anthropology hat on and look at... Um, cultures and subcultures and different generations they're going to have different artifacts and ways of being in the world and cultural values and the way they operate and the tech they choose to use to communicate is going to change an older generation might have hung out at the pub a younger generation might have hang out at the at a rave uh, a next generation is going to hang out in social media and it, it just it's not always the same nothing is forever um, we have the, in the addition of the internet, that, which creates these global cultures, which is a, kind of a whole new thing. So I think it's just a cultural shift. I, for me, I see Facebook is really strong, but I also mostly in my market serve uh, people over 30. Um, and so they're, they're the Facebook generation. Um, I bet 95% of the people in my tribe are not, they don't have Snapchat accounts. A few of them have Instagram. So I think it's just a generational thing. And um, you can't, it's very rare for a software to, I think, you know, dominate everything in the same way that, um, you know, whatever the tools and artifacts in person that we have it, you know, in different generations, whether it's the little uh, Nintendo uh, to what people are doing now is a different tool, different generation. I'm actually getting more into Instagram. I haven't got it, but I've been looking into it a lot. And their story um, element of um, they've got this thing called stories, and um, it's interesting. Um, 
Yeah, I think you're right there. But I think that's that's caused some of the damage to, um, and also um, a lot of areas they've tanked up in their advertising. So the amount of advertising you see, I think there's a number of things. I think this bad press around Russia and all that, I think a lot of the users on it just couldn't care less, be quite frank about it. Um, that's just my bit. On to the next story. I'm going to hey, go for can the... I, can I say yeah, something? Yeah, of course you can. Uh, I'm not going to block you. I think writing off Facebook as at this point is probably not wise because Facebook as it exists right now is basically two different things. You have the public Facebook, which is the wall and all the shit that people post on there and all your diabolical Arsenal fans and all that garbage, right? Exactly. And then you have this enormous back end of Facebook, which is all the private communities. And those are growing. So, so what's happening is, um, you know, when Snapchat, which is now just Snap, came out, one of the appealing things of Snapchat for the kids was that you have this very controlled environment where you would say things and then you could control who got it and they could only get it for a certain number, period of time. The same thing has kind of happened with Instagram that a lot of people have Instagram accounts that are private and then they can invite people in. Same thing happens on Twitter. You can have Twitter accounts that are private. So that's also happening on Facebook. So while Facebook may look like it's dying on your wall because fewer and fewer people are posting anything, these Backend communities on Facebook are actually growing exponentially and they're becoming more and more active. And that's extremely troubling when you look at politics because they create these literal echo chambers of just, you know, hate machines that just rile each other up on all sides of everything. It's just like everything is turning to shit. But um, they're also used for a lot of interesting things. For example, um, uh, if you have a child, a small child, I guarantee you, if you're in North America, there are Facebook groups in your community that do things like um, reselling clothes or toys or whatever, or just talking about whatever's happening in the city. Um, and these things are growing. Like my wife joined one um, in October last year and it had 200 members. It now has 10,000 members. Wow. And this is not 10,000 like, random people who just like lurch. It's so much that when you go into the feed, it's like, because there's so much going on and they organize huge events and they get, you know, there's like, there's this one thing happening in town that everyone should go to. And it's not sponsored. It's just some random person saying, hey, there's this cool event happening. And then you go to that kindergarten and it's like flooded with people, right? So there's a, there's a, um, the use of Facebook is changing. And the question of Facebook survival is whether or not they are able to kind of pivot to fit this new use case of people don't want to share their private stuff in public. They actually want to live in these private little gardens of their own and how, um, Facebook chooses to monetize it. One of the things I'm seeing is, you know, if you want to sell something, you can actually go on Facebook and say, I want to sell this t-shirt. And then Facebook will be like, oh, how much do you want to charge for it? And it'll actually give you like a price field where you can put in the price. So I can imagine at some point Facebook will introduce some sort of Facebook coin type thing where you pay Facebook money and then you have a Facebook credit. And then you can use that to actually buy things on Facebook. And then you're buying it through Facebook coin, Right. So there, there are things that they can do to move with the trend. That said, all my cousins who are much younger and cooler than me, they're all on the Insta and the Snap. And they, whenever I ping them on Facebook, they're like, who are you, old man? What the hell? Why aren't you snapping me on the Insta with the hashtags and the, all the things, right? And I'm like, ugh. 
I'll put on my old hat and go. Oh, I look forward to when you're the hater. That, that, that's when you say, get off my lawn. Yeah. I'm the old. No, I'm an old. An old. If you're old. If you're old. Say, olds. I am old. an old, but we are all olds here. So this is an the irrelevant olds. conversation. If you're old, go down way then. Uh, go read that article on um, uh, The Atlantic, I think, that was posted about um, <clears throat> the uh, self, self-help threads on Instagram and how kids are using those to quickly understand topics instead of going to YouTube because going to YouTube is now too much work to research no, things. Are just too much. I'll send a link to it. It's quite interesting. For them. I've got some bloody answers for them. Uh, I think we're going to wrap it up now because otherwise it'll go on forever and uh, I think Chris is getting bored. So. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> It's gonna sort me out, right? Oh God! Uh, um, there we are, um, Chris. I've been picking on you, but uh, Chris, would you like to tell the listeners how people can learn more about you, your company, and your great podcast? Sure. Um, and I just want to crowbar one quick thing in, which about pay for performance advertising, and it has to do with why do real estate agents work for free for a commission on the sale. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but I'm Chris Badgett, the co-founder of Look LMS, uh, which is a WordPress solution for creating, selling, and protecting online courses. I also have a podcast for course creators called LMS Cast. It's great. It's a, I listen to it as well. I've learned some stuff from it. Chris is great. And Morton, <laughs> how can people find out more about you? That is a uh, <laughs> completely invalid comparison. <laughs> we should have an entire episode where we just talk about this particular topic. We could do. We, we could have a whole like business yes. model. Uh, I, I, I think that title. I think Easily. that topic is worth exploring in more detail. I, I'm not going to just flippantly write it off. I mean, it, it is actually really interesting. Um, you can I, find I, me I really at WordCamp Europe next week oh, where I will be launching a new free product to the WordPress community that people ooh. use to build advanced progressive themes for uh, much easier. It's a new starter theme and um, uh, uh, build process packaged into one that makes theme development easy. It was developed in association with Google and LinkedIn Learning. It is being week it's free it's a community project it has no branding or anything and we linkedin learning are releasing a 100 free course on how to build themes using this kit in english german spanish and french woo and you can also find me on linkedin learning and on twitter yes sounds really interesting uh, we'll probably be discussing that next week <laughs> you have to join us when you? i'm oh. not there oh no <laughs> i'll be in bulgaria oh bulgaria no sorry um no no croatia no. Serbia. 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 <coughs> God, fuck. God, you made the math, Oh, my God. All right. Croatia. All right, John. John, um, how, how can people find out about you? I think okay. we're that really clear. Um, don't say when you get to the... Um, which the capital of Serbia? I mean, Croatia. I don't think that's going to go down to me. <laughs> uh, um, John. Um, how can people find out more about you? 
Yeah, definitely. You can go to my website, which is lockdownseo.com. You can also find me on my YouTube channel. We're posting new SEO videos for manufacturing and industrial companies each week. Uh, go ahead and just go to YouTube, search Lockdown Design and SEO. It should come up there. And uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to see you there. That'd be great. And Sally, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Well, besides um, demonstrating that Americans are geographically challenged, uh, you can find me at uh, WPFangirl.com. Uh, I'm at Sally Getch on Twitter, and we're having a meetup uh, on Sunday afternoon about inheriting other people's code. And uh, you can find out more about that at EastBayWP.com. We've got to be going now. What is the capital, Serbia? Sofia? Was That's that, uh, that is Bulgaria, isn't it? That's Bulgaria. That's Bulgaria. Oh my god! I'm. I'll, <laughs> I'll get shot straight away, won't I? There we go. There are. I'm just a daisy. Oh, I'm. I'm the founder of WP Tonic. You want to find out more about what I'm up to? Go to the WP Tonic website. We've got a load of articles. We've got some new stuff coming up um, this month. All about learning management systems, membership websites, how to get people to your membership site. We've got a flood of articles and um, I've been discussing and writing myself and, and it's going to be a feast. And uh, I just want to thank you, the listeners and watchers of this. It's, um, it's great to get your comments. If you've got any feedback about the show, it's much appreciated because um, I just really do appreciate it. And I honestly mean that. And if you're feeling really generous, if you can leave us an iTunes um, review, that really helps the show. And we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, folks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.